well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. So other, other than this morning, have you ever had the thought, man, I would not want to be anywhere else other than here. I know you're all thinking that today. I do not want to be anywhere else other than here. But I want you to think about what are some other times in your life where you've had that experience, that thought, I don't want to be anywhere else other than here. For me, for me, it's a lot of times when my family and I were able to go camping and get up kind of a little early before everybody wakes up and walk out and sit outside and just kind of take in the quietness of the day. It's just a really calming moment. I had it had that thought just a couple of weeks ago. We were in Orlando. We were at uh, Universal Studios walking through Harry Potter World. First time I'd ever been able to go there. My girls were running around, having a great time. It was just a really cool family moment. I just thought, man, I don't want to be anywhere else other than here. It also happens every time I'm able to slow slip, slow sip a large glass of Fusakli sweet tea. I don't care where I am or what I'm doing in that moment. I don't want to be anywhere else other than doing that. What, what's yours? Maybe it's sitting on the beach, taking in the sunset. Maybe it's hiking up a mountain and kind of taking in all of God's creation. Maybe it's just sitting on your front porch after a long day's work, kind of rocking the day away, thinking, I don't want to be anywhere else other than here. Well, we're in this series that we're calling Created for Good, and we're walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and kind of the theme that comes out of that letter is that we've been created for good. And last week, Andrew looked at the very beginning of chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, which is one really long sentence in the original language. There were no periods. It was all one sentence. And if you didn't get a chance to check out that message, you can find that on our website. I encourage you to, to check that out as we kind of walk through the letter of, of Ephesians. Well, we're going to get to the latter part of chapter 1 to another really long run-on sentence. It's only one sentence in the Greek language with a, a lot of thoughts. And Paul packed so much into one sentence. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23, but... What I believe we're going to take from, it's actually a prayer from Paul. It's the first of two prayers he's going to give us in this letter. What I believe Paul is wanting us to consider is, why would you want to be anywhere else other than in the Messiah, Jesus? Why would you want to be anywhere else? That's what we're going to look at as we dig into Paul's prayer. So we're going to read it and then spend some time talking about it. So it's Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Paul says, for this reason. You remember everything we talked about last week. Hopefully you remember that. If not, go check that out so that you can know what he means for this reason. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you all in my prayer. So here's something important to remember. Whenever we're reading through Ephesians and we read the word you or your, they are all plural. So I'm going to read it with really southern, with a, a, a southern vernacular, and I'm going to, instead of saying you and your, I'm going to say y'all, and even better, Y'alls. That way we really get the full account of what Paul is saying. Because I think one of the dangers is, is that we read it individually. And he's not writing it individually. He's writing it to a collective group. Okay. When I heard of y'all's faith in Jesus, y'all's love toward all the saints, I, I remember you all in all of my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you all the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of y'all's hearts enlightened, that y'all may know what is the hope to which he has called y'all, 
Isn't this fun? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him, being Jesus, from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in, the, in this age, but in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, being Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a really long sentence, is it not? A really long sentence. Just one sentence in the original language. I'm going to take that long sentence and I'm going to shorten it down to kind of an overall thought for the day that we're going to unpack. And just because it's a short sentence does not mean it is a short lesson. So here's kind of the shorter sentence. Paul is giving us, he's praying for us for wisdom and apocalypse to know the blessings of following Jesus because of his enthronement as Lord over all. So we've got to spend some time unpacking that. That's a lot shorter than what Paul said, but he gave us a lot more detail that we're going to unpack today. So let's kind of look at each statement. Let's look at what Paul's prayer for wisdom and revelation really is. Okay, So he says, I pray that you would have a spirit of wisdom. That's a really neat phrase because that phrase is used to describe a couple of different people in the Bible. Some of them were people like Daniel and Joseph. But there's one guy in particular that I find so fascinating where it says he was filled with the spirit of wisdom. And that comes all the way back in Exodus chapter 31. So go back with me in your mind and in your Bible to Exodus 31. We meet a guy named Bezalel. And in Exodus 31, God is giving the instructions for how they were going to build the temple. You remember the temple, the place where God's presence was going to dwell, the place where they were going to go meet with Jehovah God. They were going to experience him and all of his glory in this temple. And God speaks to Moses in Exodus 31, and here's what it says in verse 2. Look, I have appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, those are fun names, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom and understanding, and the ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every craft. What God did in Bezalel, is he gave him this spirit of wisdom so that Bezalel could have the creativity to create everything that we would have seen where we so blessed have been able to walk into the temple. Because here's what would have happened when we walked into the temple. We would have walked in and we would have gone, wow, this is amazing. When you walked into the temple, you'd have known you were in a temple, but it made you feel like you were in a garden because there were little flowers carved into the pillars and on the walls and little birds carved in there. And it, and it just made you feel like you were in God's garden even though you were in His temple. And everything was plated in gold. It was beautifully laid out. The craftsmanship would have made all of us just yearn for that kind of talent and ability. And this was God's gift to Bezalel. This was the spirit of wisdom is what it calls it. And Paul says, I'm praying that you will have the spirit of wisdom just like Bezalel. What does that mean? What God desires for you and I to do is to live with wisdom. What does that mean? It means to live and to see life God's way. And when we do that, we are actually bringing beauty into the world. When you live the way God wants you to, you are bringing beauty into the world because you are shouting to the world, God's way of living is so much better than any other way you could ever dream of. It's so much better than doing it your way because God's way really is the best way. And when you live with the spirit of wisdom, God is blessing you with the creativity to do good in the world. So what would it look like if all of us left today and put our heads together or spent some time thinking about how creative could I get to do good in the world? Wouldn't that be awesome? That's my challenge to you. When you leave today, be creative in trying to do good 
for other people. Because when you do that, you are living with the spirit of wisdom in your life. You, just like Bezalel, are bringing beauty and order to the world. He's praying that we would have a spirit of wisdom because you were created for good. We were created for good. Well, the second thing that he says that he wants God to give us is revelation. Now, this is our Greek term we looked at a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, apocalypse. And all that word means is it doesn't mean like end of times, fire, wars. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means an uncovering. It means a revelation. It means an illumination. What we couldn't understand before, now we understand it. It's like this veil has been removed and we go, ah, yes, now I understand it. And Paul prays that we would have this apocalypse to understand what God is doing in Jesus through the church, through us. He's praying that we would regularly have that spirit of wisdom and apocalypse. He wants us to have this on a regular basis and that he wants us to pray for it as well. Don't care how long you've been a Christian. Whether you've been a Christian for a week, 10 weeks, 100 years, you should regularly desire to grow in your knowledge and awareness of what God is doing in and around you. That's our goal. Now, that's kind of the first part of our little statement. It's a, a prayer for wisdom and apocalypse to know the blessings of following Jesus. So let, let's kind of look at that second little phrase, to know the blessings of of following Jesus. That when he says to know, it's not just head knowledge. Like you remember sitting in school, and we got some kids here with us this morning, you sit in class all day every day, and you're learning stuff that a lot of it you're probably going to try to forget at some point in your life. And it when we read that word, sometimes I think we're guilty of inserting head knowledge. That's not what he's saying here. He doesn't want you to have just have head knowledge. That's a part of it. But the word means to to grow in awareness of and experience. It's like a hands-on kind of learning. He wants you to have a greater awareness for what's going on around you. And he's going to pray that you grow in your awareness of and experience three things specifically. They're kind of summary statements of everything he talked about earlier in chapter 1 and what he's going to flesh out in the rest of his letter. And I think they're so phenomenal of what Paul is actually praying for us to experience. Here's the first one. He prays that you would know the hope of his calling. You would come to know the hope of his calling. Let's talk about that word hope. That's an interesting word because the way that we use the word hope is completely different from the way the Bible uses the word hope. I remember when I was in ninth grade, I tried out for the basketball team, and I was just really hoping I would make the team. I had zero confidence that I would actually make the team. Okay, But I would say, I hope I make the team. Well, if you use that word to describe biblical hope, you've missed it. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is an eager expectation. You are just waiting on it to happen because God said it's going to happen. So we have a hope of his calling. I think what we see a lot in the world, and I think even a lot in the church, is we see a lot of people who have lost hope. Lost hope that things are going to get better. Lost hope that people are going to do better. Lost hope in the future of where our world is heading. Let me tell you something, folks. God has not given up on his creation yet. And as long as God is working, we have hope for a better future. And I, I find it so interesting that he says the hope of his calling. What is God's calling? Well, God's calling is to salvation. God is calling all people from all tribes, tongues, and nations to be saved, to, to join this great family that God is building. That's God's call. And his call is for every individual, and he will not stop calling for them 
until Jesus returns. And our call should never stop until Jesus returns. We have a hope of what God is doing in our world. If you've lost your hope in people, can I just encourage you? Turn off the TV. Turn off the news. Get off of Facebook. And open your Bible. Because God has not given up on this world. Our hope is that God's going to redeem this world. He's going to renew all of His creation. That's our hope. That's what He's calling us to. I I pray that you never lose hope. Now, I do hope, I do pray that you will kind of open your eyes to things that are going on around you. I think one of the reasons why we lose hope sometimes in people is because we see people as the enemy, and people are not the enemy. The enemy is the evil forces around that are influencing in ways that we cannot see. That's the true enemy. Paul's going to say, say later, later in this letter, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. You and I aren't enemies of each other. We shouldn't be enemies. We're all made in the image of God. The enemy are the spiritual forces of evil. Those that dwell in, the, in, in places that we can't see, that influence in ways that we can't become aware of. He's saying, I hope that you can grow in your awareness and experience of the hope of God's calling. Well, the second thing that he prays that we would grow in our knowledge and awareness of is the richness of the glory of his inheritance. It's kind of a weird phrase, if I'm being honest with you. The richness of the glory of of his inheritance. If you think about God, God is a really reckless giver. Could you imagine a parent giving their 16-year-old brand new driver a brand new Maserati? I mean, I think you and I would look at that and be like, that's a little foolish there. I don't know why you would do that. One, they're going to get way too many tickets. Two, they're going to wreck it. And three, they probably just might put themselves or others in the hospital. I don't think that's a good idea. God is a really reckless giver if you think about it. Just think about all the things that you have experienced today and in your life that are gifts from God. Do you deserve any of them? You can do this. It's okay. You can shake your head no, because you don't. You and I don't deserve any of the blessings that God has given us. When you read through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 that Andrew talked about last week, we don't deserve any of those. We don't deserve to be adopted as sons and daughters and brought into the family of God. We don't deserve to be forgiven of our sins. We don't deserve any of the blessings that we find in Christ Jesus. But God is a reckless giver. He just pours them out on His people and makes them available to all people. Not to mention the common grace that everybody gets to experience, whether they believe in Jesus or not. The fact that you woke up and breathed in oxygen is a miracle and a gift from God. Because you could have breathed in many other substances that would be harmful to you on this earth and to your body. But that was a common grace. You woke up and probably woke up in in a house of some sort with a building over your head and It's very likely that you've had food on your table or have the opportunity to eat later today. Those are gifts from God that we don't deserve. We don't deserve a nice facility that's climate-controlled, set to just the right temperature, as long as you agree with it, uh, to, to worship in very comfortable ways. We don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve any of these gifts that God has given us. But God is a reckless giver, and He has poured out in His richness His gifts. And it's like, here, you want more? I'll just, I'll keep handing it out. Here's more goodness and more gifts from me. Oh, you did wrong with it? Here, I'm continuing to give. God gives all of these gifts knowing that we're going to turn our back on Him. He still shells it out, out of His richness. But Paul specifically says, the richness, the glory of His inheritance. When you read through the Old Testament, 
when you read that word inheritance, it's always talking about the same thing. It's always talking about the promised land, Canaan. You remember what God promised to Abraham? Going to make you a great nation, give you a great land, going to bless all families through you. And they're waiting to inherit this promised land. They finally do. They get to go into it when you get into the book of Joshua. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's amazing. That was the promise. That was the inheritance. And then when they would sin and God would make them captive, He'd always promise to bring them back. Well, God's promise now is for the fulfillment of that promised land. It's not that we're all going to pack our bags and head over to the Far East and go you know, unpack our bags in the ancient land of Canaan. We're looking for a greater Canaan. We're longing for a place where God is, where He will dwell with His creation for all of eternity. That's the inheritance that we are waiting for. And that, according to Paul, is something that we should grow in our awareness of and experience on a regular basis. We should become aware of the richness of the glory of His inheritance. The moment you walk into glory with God, you're just constantly going to say, are you serious? Is this real? This is beautiful. This is amazing. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. That's the point of what Paul's trying to get you to understand. Why would you want to be anywhere else other than in the Messiah Jesus? Third thing that he he prays about is that we would become aware of the surpassing greatness of his power toward all who believe. That word power is really fascinating. My mind instantly goes back to Genesis 1. Well, if we could have just been there to imagine the power that God shows to create the world, everything that we can imagine just by speaking it into existence. That's power, folks. That's not the end of God's power, because God not only has life-creating power, but God has life-recreating power. You remember in Ezekiel, Ezekiel has this vision, God leads him to this valley of dry bones, and he's like, what in the world? And God's like, this is my army. Well, you got a dead army, God. Nope, watch this. Wind comes in, being the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden these bones start putting themselves back together, and flesh is put around them, and God builds up this army. He revives those dead men's bones. I think Paul had that in his mind in Romans 8 when he's talking about the body of Jesus after he was crucified is laying in a tomb. And they had sealed it shut, remember? They put guards in front of it. And the Holy Spirit of God, the breath of God, invades that tomb, plunges into the body of Jesus. Instantly he breathes again. And he arises from the dead. And Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 11, that same Spirit, that same Spirit, Raise the body of Jesus. Dwells in you. God not only breathed life into his body, but God will breathe life into your body. You want to see the power of God on display? We've got a body of water right behind us. You can take a person who's spiritually dead, lower them into the water, and in that moment, the Spirit of God, just like it invaded that tomb of Christ, will invade that person's soul, and it will revive their life, and they will be created anew. That's the true power of God. Because what Paul talks about is he connects the power of God to the resurrection of Jesus and the promise that not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but God's going to breathe life into our bodies. And even after we die, when Jesus returns, God's going to revive our bodies as well. God's going to resurrect and redeem us as well through the power of his spirit. That's the promise that we have of God's power toward all that believe. And it's a blessing that we have that Paul says, Man, I'm just praying that you'll grow in your awareness and understanding of this because this is amazing. Like if that don't put you on your knees to make you go, thank you, God, for all of these amazing blessings, what will? This is our hope as believers and followers of Jesus. This is what Paul is praying that we would understand to greater and greater degrees. 
that it's not something that we just become content. All right, I'm a follower of Jesus. I show up at church every Sunday. No, that's that's like a tiny percent of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and the blessings that we have in Him. This is what Paul spent years uh, trying to put together his understanding of what God is doing in and through Jesus. These are the promises that God has for His people. And he says, I pray, man, I pray constantly that you'll never miss it. I pray for constant revelation. You just have these moments where you go, wow, God, that's amazing. And all of this is because of Jesus' enthronement as Lord over all. It's kind of how Paul concludes his letter. It's because Jesus is enthroned as Lord over all. So he wants us to, he has this prayer for wisdom and apocalypse, to know the blessings of Jesus because of his enthronement as Lord over all. For Paul, Jesus' resurrection and enthronement go hand in hand. He rarely talked about one without talking about the other. And the, the language that he uses to talk about Jesus is so fascinating because he says that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. Now for us, I wonder sometimes, is that just, that's really not that big of a deal? It's not as fascinating as it could be because we don't live in a country where we have this monarchy. But for their culture when they thought about their Roman emperor in Ephesus who was reigning over them, and they thought about the God of heaven, Jesus is now sitting at His right hand reigning on high. It's an image of what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7 of the Son of Man who would rise and sit beside the Ancient of Days and would reign on high, whose kingdom would never come to an end. Paul's saying, hey, that Messiah that you've been waiting for, that's Jesus. He's reigning over all. He says that he's reigning over all authority and power, over every name that is named. It's kind of some weird language, and we'll, in later lessons we'll try to unpack some of that. But he's basically talking about he's reigning over any force that is present today, forces for good and forces for evil, the ones you can see and the ones you can't see, and any name that is named. For them, I think he's specifically talking about the Roman Caesar, the Roman emperor, who had the greatest name in the land. Jesus' name is above that. You can pick a name. You want to pick any leader who leads our country? You want to pick any person who tries to prop themselves up as a world power? Jesus is reigning over them. He's reigning over all. He says He's reigning over all in this age and in the age to come. What's really fascinating for Paul in his mind is part of his revelation, part of this his apocalypse where he has this awareness of what God is doing is he had this time where he thought there's the age that we live in and then time's going to end and we're going to begin the age to come. They're kind of two separate entities. Over here is the current age and then there's the age to come. But what he discovered in Jesus is actually that this age and the age to come overlap through Jesus' work on the cross. They've actually come together and there's this little section that we share in the middle where we see the kingdom of God breaking into the world. We're not just waiting on the kingdom of God. We're seeing it present and alive today. I think that's why when you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see all these different miracles that are performed. It wasn't just to prove that the apostles were apostles and that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was to show this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God breaks into the world. This is the fulfillment of what God promised back in Isaiah 61 and other places where they had this image of what's it going to look like when God's kingdom comes. Here's what it looks like. And in Paul's mind, he now sees these two time periods, current age and the age to come, and he sees them merge together, not overlap, just intersect each other. And he says Jesus is reigning over it all. 
He's reigning over the time we're living in. He's reigning over the time that's going to come. And we're seeing glimpses of that. And we see it a lot in the church. God's people. The vision for God's humanity and God's family. We see it on display as we all gather in this room. We come from different backgrounds, different situations in life, different financial places, different ex- experiences growing up. Maybe even different thoughts about who God is and who Jesus is. And we all bring it together. And we're all united of what Paul says in one heart. Multiple people coming together with one heart to the praise of God. Jesus is reigning over that. Paul would never let us forget about the enthronement of Jesus. We talk a lot about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul talked as much about the enthronement of Jesus. He is reigning over all. He's reigning over the church. Who He fills all in all. We are all filled with Jesus. We should be full of Jesus when we walk out of this room. We should be filled with Jesus so much that people see Him through us. That's why one of the reasons we come together. To get refilled by the One who fills all in all. It's a powerful prayer from Paul. He wants us to have this understanding, this growing awareness of what it truly means to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is reigning over all. And my prayer for us is that we pray Paul's prayer. That we say, God, give me a spirit of wisdom. Give me revelation, a growing awareness of what you're doing in me, around me, in the church, in the world. That's our prayer. To never lose sight of what God is doing. When you don't lose sight, you will not lose hope for His calling. You'll never forget the richness, the glory of His inheritance. You'll never underestimate the power of God to deliver people from sin, from death, from disease. God's power is awesome. That's what Paul is praying for. And as I just think about his prayer, I just come back to that question. Why in the world would we want to be anywhere else other than in the Messiah, Jesus? It's really what Paul's trying to get us to understand. We've got to ask ourselves, am I living in Christ Jesus? It's a phrase that's repeated over and over again in Ephesians 1. It's meant to get you and I to ask ourselves, are you in Christ Jesus? Have you been baptized into Christ? That's how you get into Christ. Have you been baptized into Him? If not, why not? Do you, Do you see the richness of God's blessings? There's no greater life than the life of Christ. And to live the life of Christ, are you in the Messiah? But it's not just a question to those who've not been baptized. It's a question to those of us who have. Are you living in the Messiah Jesus? Are you living with the realization and the growing awareness of the blessings that He's poured out to you, the mission that He's called each of us to, what God is trying to do in, through, and all around us. It's so easy to get to lose sight of it. And that's why we need passages like Ephesians 1, prayers like Paul prayed, and I believe are still being prayed over us, that we would grow in our awareness and understanding. So today, if you're not in Christ, why not? There's no better place to be. We'd love to assist you. We'd love to witness you being baptized into Christ, that you can have that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, breathe life into your spiritual body as well. If you've 
wandered from God and you want to come back and you want to recommit your life to Him, rededicate your heart to Jesus, and we'd love to help you with that as well. If you want to talk privately after the service is over, we just encourage you, don't leave the same person you came here as. Leave completely changed. If we can help you in any way, we're going to sing a song, and let's stand and sing that song together.